Welcome to the latest Fifth Step podcast. Today I'll be talking to Fifth Step CEO Darren Ray. Uh, the subject for today's podcast is the General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR as it's commonly known. Uh, we've, this is the third in the series we've been doing on the subject. Before we talked about uh, well, the importance of project planning, um, assessment, assessment, but in this third episode we're going to be here to talk about uh, discussing implementation um, and what that means for IT teams and their CIOs. So I guess you know, it's over to you Darren, where, you know, where do we start? Well, uh, if for those people who have been following the, the series of uh, GDPR podcasts, they'll know that we've uh, as I already said, um, we've done assessment. So from the assessment, we've actually pulled out and understood uh, where our organisation's strengths are and where we're compliant with GDPR and where some of our weaknesses are. Now, if, you've been, uh, if you're working with FISTEP, if uh, you're a FISTEP um, customer, then at that point in time, you have a roadmap, a high-level plan, if you like, an implementation plan of what to do next. Um, if you're running this on your own and looking at what you can do on your own or what, uh, what shape uh, this should take, um, then your next state, state step is going to be to start looking at things like your policies. Yep. Okay. Yep. Now, your policies are important because they actually drive the behaviour within the organisation, or that's the, that's the plan. It's also what you're audited against, and um, uh, and it's also what you'll be judged against. Uh, you know, should you have a, a breach and a you know a, a regulatory investigation of any uh, of any kind. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how do you set up, um, you know, a, a robust data privacy and uh, protection policy? Mm. So, uh, there are many, many templates on the internet and things like that. Um, and I read things in some of the forums where people are suggesting, oh, we'll go off and get this template and do this and do that. I would advise against get, getting a template, uh, you know, just a flat template and thinking that that's going to be okay to, to implement. Every policy has to be tailored to your organization's specific requirements and uh, tailored to your uh, risk profile and to your strengths. Um, so no, that's whether you're a, a small, you know, medium-sized company or, mm. or, or a large you know, global organization. Yeah, absolutely. And, and some organizations might say, oh, well, you know, a big organization is obviously going to have to tailor theirs, but a smaller organization, let's say... That can hold true, but on the whole, if you're um, comparing two organisations, you know, one that manufactures widgets and one that's, uh, uh, you know, a small social media... Um, I was going to uh, say, so if, you, if you're, you know, it's some a five to ten person company, mm. new IT startup working, mm. you know, off of Old Street in London, would, mm. would this apply to you as well? Yeah, it? absolutely would, because at the very least, um, even if... Uh, the data that you're collecting and processing as part of your startup organisation, at the very least, you're going to have to have GDPR compliance for um, your staff, for your HR processes. Mm. So, at the very least, you're going to have to do that. Okay, and of course, and even on a much vaster scale when it comes to multinational corporations, you know, operating in the city of London or. Yeah, or, or wherever you may be in America or New York or whatever. Well, and the likes and of... Because um, it applies to New York as well, just as well as anywhere else, which is another thing that people don't realise. It does, yeah. Um, yeah, so the uh, what GDPR says is it's, um, um, it, will, uh, it applies to any organisation who, who provides services uh, to European residents. So yeah. if your organisation is, um, you know, like Facebook, um, yep. for example, and you're providing a service, even though that service is free, 
Okay, yeah. because it's targeted at European uh, residents, you have to still uh, comply with the GDPR. It doesn't have to be fake. It could be a car manufacturer, couldn't it? It could be, you know, anyone. You know, anyone who collects any per, uh, any um, you know, personal tourist data. Tourist office. Uh, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, tourist office in, you know, in New York State um, who provides, um, you know, services to, you know, European residents. Mm. And... Um, you know, they're visiting New York, for example, and they're collecting their name and their address and their email address, for example, to keep them updated with, um, you know, offers either whilst they're in New York or subsequently. Mm. Um, you know, those those organisations... What about individuals? I mean, could, you know, would individuals need to be GDPR? I mean, I'm thinking, I, do, I used an Airbnb in Paris a few, few, few weeks ago and she took my details. I mean, you know, the, the, the woman who owns... The, Did she, Chris? Uh, yeah. Did she? <laughs> Have you told your wife? In that instance, um, that, um, that person or the entity that that person's using to trade through Airbnb, you know, it may be that they're, um, you know, the equivalent of a limited company, um, in which case the company would ha um, have to be. But yes, in that instance, um, that person would still have to, um, couldn't be non-compliant. They wouldn't necessarily have to demonstrate the same level of compliance. So the interesting thing about this is, is, is the GDPR is going to make everyone, whether you know, organisations or individuals, multiple people are going to be more focused on deep you know, rights of data Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, an understanding of how important it is in their daily lives. I think probably that impact hasn't been felt by individuals yet, has it? No, well that happened um, to a greater or lesser extent in 1998 when the previous Data Protection Act uh, was implemented. Mm. Um, at that point in time, um, um, organisations saw um, an increase um, for the first time of, of um, individuals asking for copies of their personal data, because mm. that was the first time that that was really yeah. um, uh, introduced. It was possible previously, but it was the first time it was really um, enforced. So do you foresee a sort of a, a spike in those kind of requests happening around about, you know, in May, but this, this time, you know? I, I do, just on the basis that, um, that um, awareness will be raised. Yeah, there'll be a lot more publicity about it. So, you know, people might be asking uh, the question, oh, well, that company that I used to... Um, you know, used to work for or used to um, provide this service to me. Um, I wonder whether they've got rid of all my data. Yeah, uh, and things like that. So that's important in the sense that we, we've talked a lot about processes and you know getting up to speed and understanding it. But what you may find is you may get a hundred percent rise in maybe requests for information, or fifty percent, or far more than we can even imagine. So yeah, that's true, and I think it's important. I mean, one of the steps on our implementation process here is looking at your business processes, um, making sure that you're taking the opportunity to um, make those business processes more efficient, not mm -hmm. just in the way that they process um, the data um, or that your people process the data, but also in the way that uh, they're operating. <clears throat> Most yeah. organisations don't get the chance to go back and revisit their business processes. Mm. So um, having the opportunity to do that because you need to maintain compliance with GDPR is an important aspect. It's also important to have clear data collection purposes. Okay, uh, it is, and that's one of the very, um, uh, you know, the very key points about uh, the GDPR is uh, you have to be transparent about what you're collecting the data for. Um, you also need to include in that that, that document, that statement, if you like, um, uh, who, um, which other third parties are going to be uh, processing the data. So if you're outsourcing part of the data processing, uh, then you have to be able to say that. 
Uh, you have to um, provide details of where the data is going to be sent to, particularly mm. if it's going to be sent outside of the European economic area. So that's um, all of the 28 uh, European countries, um, Iceland, Iceland, um, as Switzerland, I think there's some others as well in there. As, um, but um, yeah. you know, there are many sites of detail. Well, the, what the contents of the EEA is without uh, testing my, ge my geography. Um, you also have to say uh, the duration, state of duration that the data is going to be retained for. Yeah. And that has to be a reasonable duration. So you can't say, oh, well, you're coming for an interview and we're going to keep your copies of your CV and your personal data and how you did in the interview for 20 years. Um, that's probably not going to be considered reasonable. Yeah, yeah. So there are you know, free data collection purposes, I gather. What, what, what are those? Yeah, that's right. So uh, there are at least three that organisations are going to have to um, have to deal with, um, and um, you know this again goes down back to the you know the small company, um, but even larger companies um, are going to have to have at least these three. So the three are: you're going to need one for processing of personal data um, for. Um, uh, for the services you provide. Yeah. So if you are a car, a car hire company, for example, you're going to collect uh, personal data about um, those people who are hiring cars. Well, that'd be and today. I went, to, as you know, I went to Somerset last week. Yes. Um, very nice. Well, yes. cathedral. I yes. recommend it to all of my, my listeners out there into churches. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very good. It's a, it's a niche <laughs> segment well, across well, the GDPR and churches. I, well, I, I, I kind of thought it was a good segue. Now. Yeah, no, very <laughs> good. Very good. Well, I guess uh, if you don't do some of the things that we're, we're saying, you're going to have to spend a lot more time praying for um, uh, for, for non-data breaches. Well, I was nearly I was praying when I first drove that car out of the car park. I tell you, I couldn't get the handbrake. Oh, the I couldn't get the handbrake to work properly. <laughs> but anyway, but yeah, but that was a, that's a good example though. Isn't it? I hired that car for four days, and I gave quite a lot of my personal information. Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, so going forward, um, organisations such as a hire company need to have a clear data purpose, like the one we've already um, discussed, and they also need to state as part of that um, how long they're going to keep your data for, um, and um, who their uh, data protection officer is, and things like that. So that's one of the cases. So um, in relation to the services they provide, that's going to be huge. It must be hugely onerous. I mean, just thinking about it, when you you know now that's a, a new another layer. I mean, without getting into the wrongs or what, what, whatsoever of regulation and you know mm -hmm. paperwork, it's going to happen. Whatever you know, mm -hmm. whatever, whatever happens. So you are going to need someone to oversee all of that, aren't you? I mean, it's going to be a huge amount of extra work. Yeah, um, for some organisations, it'll be more than others. There are aspects that you can automate, but um, you know, we'll come on in just a moment, probably, yeah. um, to the role of the data protection officer. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, number two on the um, the co uh, data collection processes. Um, you're going to need one uh, data collection process uh, for the uh, collection of personal data for candidates you're interviewing for, for jobs. Mm. Uh, the reason for that is um, that you're going to collect their information, uh, you're going to want to retain it for a certain period of time, but then you have to delete that uh, that information. And it again, it won't be reasonable to keep that data for 20 years. Mm. It may be reasonable to keep it for one or two years, uh, for example, depending on your internal processes, but it's not going to be um, seen as reasonable for yeah. you to retain that data for longer. And then finally, um, in this list, um, you're going to need a process for the collection and processing of uh, your staff's personal data um, okay. for employees. You mentioned you know, automation. Is it going to be possible to do the fully automate this? Do you think, or you know, would it be would it be some kind of like clever algorithm that can sweep this all up and 
remove your cares if you're a CEO, or or are you going to need to have people to help you to help pull this all up? No, you're definitely going to need um, some. Um, you know, it's going to be an additional uh, piece of work uh, within the organisation. You can automate certain pieces, like you can say um, all of this data, um, you know, is going to be deleted within two years of its collection, and then you know, uh, run some software to delete everything that's uh, more than two years old, two years old, yeah. two years or older, sure. for example. Uh, you could do that. Uh, most organisations are probably going to want to anonymise some of that data, so they take away the personal. Um, the personal data out of it, yeah. and um, uh, and then keep the data for other processing, so they can still do statistical analysis of things just without the personal information. Yeah. But at the very least, you're going to need a a data protection officer, um, or most organisations are going to need a data protection officer. So, um, the data protection officer is really the person that's named within the GDPR who uh, is responsible for overseeing. Uh, the organisation's compliance and for making sure that the organisation's staff understand what data protection is. Uh, they're also responsible in the case of a, uh, a data breach or, uh, yeah, data breach for dealing with the Information Commissioner's Office or the, the local data protection authority. Too. Would, the, would the data protection officer, would they work primarily with the IT team? Would they report into like a CIO or would they, would they report into someone else on the board like a CEO? Yeah, it could be. It could be that they report into the um, the chief information officer. Um, uh, we prefer that they don't report into the CIO though, because it's a little bit poacher and gamekeeper uh, mm. relationship. Yeah. Um, so it's actually better that this, that that, um, that the, the uh, DPO doesn't report into the CIO at or that the CIO isn't the, the DPO as well, because some organisations have suggested that they might actually have. Um, use their, their chief information officer as the DPO. Um, it would be far better for organisations to have a, a chief risk officer or a chief information security officer. Um, you know, someone of that ilk would be far better. Um, uh, what's, the, what's, the, what's the primary risk then? Of, it's probably very obvious, but what's the primary risk would be the CIO and the DPO at the same time? Um, that you that you are too close to the um, to the data and the purpose of the data to actually be. Um, um, questioning and um, implementing all of the processes and procedures uh, relating to the deletion of the data. It also um, assumes that the CIO has all of the knowledge about how the data is used and that's not actually the, um, the, the case very often. The CIO is really responsible for um, ensuring there's enough capacity, ensuring there's enough um, you know, system that systems are capable for processing the data in the way that the business want, um, and it's a little bit of an abdication of responsibility to um, to say that CIO should take on uh, the DPO um, piece as well. So personally, we like to see it sitting outside of the CIO, um, CIO or the IT um, team, but that doesn't necessarily have to be the case. It's just you know, it's okay. our, our preference and our experience has led us to that. Uh, to that recommendation. Okay, okay. So some, some organisations may already have a data protection officer through their compliance with the data protection directive. So, what, 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 you know, you've mentioned that in the past. What do you mean by that? Uh, <coughs> okay, so the data protection directive is the existing regulation that came into place in, um, well, came into being in 1995, but it was in, enacted in 1998. This is in the UK? Yeah, in, in, well, in the UK and across Europe. And across um, so it was the data protection 
directive was a European directive and it was enacted in law um, in the UK as the Data Protection Act in 1998. Right. <coughs> so the concept of the Data Protection Officer was mentioned there too. Excuse <coughs> me. Um, it was mentioned there too and uh, many organisations will have a DPO as part of that. For organisations that don't and, and, and can't necessarily justify it though, that role doesn't have to be an internal um, you know, person. Uh, it also doesn't have to be a full-time job. So um, FISTEP, for example, provides a data protection officer service where you can have a, a data protection officer for two days a month. Yeah. Um, you know, and that could be two nominated days or it can be two days spread across a month if that's more appropriate or a combination. Um, so organisations should be creative in, in looking at that and not just think that, oh, I've got to hire another person to do this uh, this role, you know, perhaps come and have a chat to FISTEP or look at other creative ways at, uh, of, of providing that, fulfilling that obligation. So you, so in, in that role, you would be able to advise, um, you know, on how existing business processes are likely to, you know, to need to be adapted, aren't, aren't you? That would be one of your roles. Yeah, so, um, yeah, business processes are, are, are key. We sort of mentioned them a little bit earlier, but making sure that your business processes fulfil the obligations and provide the means of uh, fulfilling the data subject's rights. So ensuring that a data subject is well informed about what the data is being collected for, that's part of the data purpose. Um, but then if they inquire about um, what data is being held, that you've got the business processes to be able to ensure that they are who they say they are, so they have a right to, um, to the data that you're going to provide. Mm. Um, if you don't do that check, obviously you're in uh, in danger of uh, causing a data protection breach by, you know, through your own mechanisms. So you need to make sure that they are who they say they are and that they've got um, uh, access and rights to the, to the data. And then providing them with that information within the, uh, the period, um, the allowed period. So within GDPR you have to provide that information within one month of the inquiry. You can extend it, okay, you can ask for an extension um, uh, from the data subject if it's a particular complex, you know, if the data is yep. particularly complex, um, but the ICO and other data protection authorities around Europe have said that they're looking for those to be uh, fulfilled within um, within a month and it to be more exceptional that they're extended. Mm. I think there's a, a there's probably an understandable um, anxiety on the part of people um, in organisations that, that the GDPR is going to be a new additional burden. Um, it's going to create more work and more, more expense, but there also there's another side to look at this, isn't there? There's another way of looking at this, is, and this is the opportunity that GDPR offers in terms of you know creating more efficiencies in the business. I mean, if you, you, you've mentioned that in the past. That this is the time to sort of badge yourself as in, you know, excellent, you know, excellent yeah. in the area of data. So, how, what, what's the opportunity there that you, you see for organisations? Well, I think there's a, I think they're manyfold. Um, we mentioned you know improving your business processes to become more efficient. Okay, that's the first opportunity. Okay, the second opportunity is um, by following and implementing GDPR. You know, European data protection, um, as onerous as it's seen by some organisations, is in, on the whole seen to be. Um, you know the um, at the cutting edge of data protection, um, are, you know around the world doesn't necessarily mean it's the best, but it's implementing all of the best practices um, and codifying all of the best practices. So by implementing that uh, that process and demonstrating your respect for personal data, 
um, in the first instance, and conveying that back to the data subject so that people whose data it is, actually is that you're, you're collecting. You're actually demonstrating to them that actually we care about you, we care about your data, we're going to take care of your data and not abuse it, not sell it to you know, the next person who uh, wants to put together an email marketing list or you know, something like that. We're actually going to treat your data with, um, with respect and um, you know, keep it safe whilst it's in our custody. Is there some kind of a, a, a sort of a standard along the lines of ISO that you know that um, that fits into this at the moment? No, really, there's no certi certification around. That's um, going to happen isn't yeah. it, at some point. Presumably, that will be. Yeah, I th uh, well, I guess. Um, yeah, I, yes, I agree. I think it probably will happen, uh, Chris. I mean, many of our clients are asking uh, for for various degrees of you know certification, yeah. for evidence that they're. Uh, that they've gone through the process and that um, you know they've been audited for GDPR, for example. So I agree. I think it is going to be something. There's no official threat at the moment. It's still it's a bit still a bit bit like the Wild West out there, I suppose, in some ways, in terms of like data and you know. It, it, yeah, the Wild West is probably um, uh, probably a, a little bit harsh, but you're right. There's a lot of people still saying things and um, putting you know making giving advice to organisations that's not correct. I you know I read. Um, a number of articles over the last uh, week about GDPR, and um, all of you know, well, the three that I read um, in the last uh, in the last week, all of them had one or more errors in mm. them um, in the information that they were providing. And um, one of the errors um, was actually quite you know quite fundamental. Um, no, the and, national and, newspaper was it? Or, or, uh, um, yeah. That one, no, that one wasn't. That was no. actually by an industry um, player who was um, uh, quite a large industry player who was giving advice to organisations um, on uh, on and about GDPR. Yeah. And one of the fundamental aspects of um, the uh, uh, of who it applies to was misstated. No, see. Um, well, the thing is, when you've uh, when you've been obviously talking about the subject for you know a good eight year to 18 months now and of course you've actually you've written a book on the uh, the little book of GDPR which is not which is not such a little book but well, it's a relatively short um, short book it's about 70 pages long but um, but yes um, but this it, is the combination of all the expertise and wisdom that you've gained over the last 12 months and reading up, up, up on this and uh, yeah, well, I've, I've been involved in data protection, um, you know, since, well, right since the, the very early days of data protection within the UK, you know, bearing in mind that the first Data Protection Act within the UK was in 1984. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I've been involved um, with data protection for a long time. So, bringing all of that knowledge and experience together, you're right, and then providing a, um, an introduction of how... Um, how and what uh, GDPR is. It does. It's the best. I mean, I've read the book. I mean, it, and it, I can say I actually understood some of it. Well, I know you didn't, <laughs> leave a, you didn't leave a review <laughs> on uh, Amazon. I'm very, uh, yeah, very hurt now. Well, I know. <laughs> but it, it does. It does demystify a lot of the, the complex, uh, the complex nature of the detail that's around the GDPR. I have to say. Yeah, and I've tried to, um, you know, as I, tr uh, you know, as we try to do with all the stuff that we do here at Fifth Step and the blogs, you know, as well as, um, you know, all the presentations that I give about the subject, um, try not to draw upon the or, or play up the fear aspect because there are far too many people saying, oh, well, it's a 20 million euro dollar fine, uh, sorry, a 20 million euro fine, yeah. um, you know, or 4% of your annual revenue, you've got to do this. Well, yes, you have got to do it, and those are some of the reasons you need to do it, but actually there are good reasons why you should be doing it for the protection of your business mm. um, because reputational damage of having a large data breach um, you know, it's something that few organisations truly 
um, you know, truly trust. Oh, well, and as you've said before, many you know, lots of organisations won't, won't have visited the business processes for a while, will they? So no, this is their opportunity. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so um, pulling it all back in, um, you know, looking at the business processes, making them sure they're efficient, making sure they're GDPR compliant, um, you know, making sure that they're including things like the destruction of data and they're not making a, assumptions that this data is going to now be available forever just because it's been collected, you know, because obviously under GDPR you have to delete data at the end of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of you know, businesses are going for lots of change at the moment. In the, it's, you know, the, 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 the digital world is transforming business models. You've got you know, things like you've got great big geo, geopolitical shifts and things like Brexit, and one of which we've talked about in other podcasts. Um, so, you know, difficult then for organisations that, that, that have lots of in-flight projects going on. Mm-hmm. How, how do they adapt those and, and sort of incorporate GDPR as part of those? Well, they're going to have to do that. It's the first... They um, will have to do that. Yeah, they, they, they definitely any in-flight projects, you need to make sure that they've got... Um, that they're, uh, the deliverables that are coming out of, uh, out of the project are uh, GDPR compliant. If they're not, um, then, um, you know, if you've got good project managers there, they'll be able to go through the change process, do the analysis um, and understand what changes need to be made in order to um, you know, be compliant with GDPR. The last thing you really want is a project going live and then, you know, within three months having major... Bolt somebody else onto yeah, it. That's yeah. it. Um, so ideally, um, you know, and, and this may change depending on the, on the project, but ideally you're going to want, to want it to go live being GDPR compliant rather than going live and then having to undergo... Um, you know, potentially significant changes. Um, you know, in the first uh, few months of, yeah. of, of being in production. Sure, sure. Okay. Well, you know, I think that's pretty much covered off that this uh, third, third podcast we've done on this subject, and I think we'll be doing a few more certainly over the over the next couple of months. Yep. And many more before May. I, I, I yeah, before May. Well, we'll probably do year. some um, after May twenty fifth as well in yeah. terms of you know what we're hearing and what we're seeing in terms of what organisations are. Um, you know, are saying yeah. um, as well. And I, um, myself, I'll be speaking at an event uh, for the uh, Institute of Directors in uh, October um, alongside um, Elizabeth Deming, who's the head of um, the Information Commissioner's Office um, in the UK. So um, if there are any um, uh, insights or tidbits or um, you know, pieces of advice that uh, Elizabeth is giving at that, um, you know, during the course of that, that would be at the, the Pall Mall uh, Institute. No, I actually think it's going to be. I, I think it's going to be elsewhere. I think oh, it's actually it? going to be at the Grange. I'm not sure that's 100 percent confirmed the yet. Grange so in what the city? Mm, I think so. Okay. I think so. But we'll. Um, um, I'll, I'll get fuller details no, about yeah, that no, right. yeah. <laughs> before people start <laughs> rushing to, to book space in the Grange. Okay. All right. Well, that, that's great. And obviously, there are other um, areas of you know W of the um, uh, fifth step. Um, in terms of the content distribution that we do, so we yeah. have the website, on the website, on the website yeah. as we as it's more commonly known. But uh, <laughs> if you go to the www.fifthstep.com, um, so f i f t h s t e p dot com, and of course we have our uh, at fifth step Twitter feed, and we yeah. we're all up there quite a lot on LinkedIn, aren't we? We do a lot on there. Lots yeah, of absolutely. And please, um, um, if you enjoyed this podcast, please do like it on uh, iTunes. Um, you know, give us uh, give us a little bit of feedback. Back. Uh, that's always uh, greatly appreciated and uh, obviously reach out to us um, you know, from the website as Chris has said or on Twitter or even better on YouTube 
then to see like it's on YouTube and I can get some extra credibility with my 11 year old daughter well absolutely mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's important for us both Chris in the eyes of our, 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 our in the eyes of our children to be uh, you know, YouTube superstars as we're uh, well, yeah. rapidly becoming she, she wants me to take her to see the uh, weather have you heard of Zoella? I have heard of Zoella. YouTube star in Brighton with 11, 11 million followers. I well, we're, we're close. I mean, we've we're, got we're 11, close. maybe. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll on, get there. on that happy note, <laughs> if there's anyone who wants to watch us on YouTube, um, uh, we've got, uh, there'll be a third episode uh, appearing shortly after this podcast. Um, we've got two up there at the moment. You can um, um, uh, see that both Chris and I both have uh, faces for radio or for podcasts. <laughs> But in the meantime, thanks very much, Chris. Right, thank you, Darren. All right.